the number one pricing power tool that you have as a seller is location. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Today's sponsor is Eva, the most intelligent Amazon scaling toolkit online. Amazon sellers need exact, quick-to-read profit reports. Many sellers already pay a lot of money for these. Eva has world-class finance analytics with crystal-clear graphs included at no extra cost. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers, averaging a 51% increase in profits. To get a 15-day free trial, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com ba.com forward slash eva setting prices can be incredibly challenging sometimes you have to be a price taker and take what the market gives you other times you can be a price setter and you can do it with confidence the reality is there are three big challenges with setting prices that we want to talk about in today's show but we're also going to explain how you can be a pricing genius not to be too hyperbolic in the intro here how you can be a pricing genius in spite of these three challenges. So we're going to make this quick because Michael's sick <laughs> and my co-host is uh, going to limp through this here, I think. But Michael, I'm really excited to record this session with you. So you're going to be able to hang in here with me, buddy? I think so. Yeah, I shall just mute myself and not splutter at people too much. But yeah, I like the idea of being a price maker, not a price taker. And that's something that many Amazon or market-based sellers can only dream of without going in a rabbit hole. Tell me a little bit yeah. about the difference there, how you yeah. think you become one or the other. That's a classic economics for a price taking, price making. So the difference there is you have pricing power if you can make the prices what you want. And you don't have pricing power if you have to take what the market will give you. And so those are really classic economics terms. And yeah, we will obviously we want to be price makers. We want to be able to say, here's our price point and it helps our business succeed and customers will pay for it. And so that's the gist of the whole premise behind the pricing power book is how do you put yourself in the position to be a price maker, not a price taker. And but that's challenging as we all know <laughs> because there are there are obstacles in our way. And so we want to talk about three of those today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the reality is, according to psychological research and pricing research is done, there's a guy named Ernest Weber who's done a lot of research in this regard. There is no absolute price for any product. And I think we'll know this if we put our consumer hat on. But if we're managing a business and trying to set prices, we want it to be $17.99 as the perfect price. But the reality is for consumers, the economic economists have tested things and they've realized that what actually happens in the mind of the consumer is that there's a range of prices and there the range of prices is is what customers think about in 
in, in their mindset. Oh, Michael, I think people are saying hello, but they're also saying in, I think on StreamYard, you were muted that last conversation. Yeah, I, you gave a beautiful answer, but I was not muted on, on calling. So you heard the question, but the people on StreamYard didn't hear the question. So the difference was, I better ask you this question because we can put it into the recording, which is now going to be fun to edit. Um, so what is the first of the three unfortunate facts? The answer is there's no perfect price, I think. <laughs> there is no perfect price. That is the uh, the first unfortunate reality. Psychologists and economists have figured out what a customer does is says in their mind, there's a range of prices I'm willing to pay for something. And it doesn't matter what it is, a cup of coffee or a car or a new computer or phone, lawn care service, or the guy who's going to put chlorine in your pool every week. There's a range of prices that we say in our minds, oh, that's, and in that range, what happens is the buyer gets into a buyer frenzy. If they need it, they'll buy it because it's in that range and it reduces their psychological kind of overwhelm and they don't have to think about it. They just say, I need this. It's in the price range that my mind says is acceptable. I'm pulling the trigger on the purchase. And so that's good news, bad news. Good news is if you operate in that range, you're fine. But bad news is a lot of times that range isn't fun profit wise. And if you think about Howard Schultz back in the seventies, a cup of coffee was like 59 cents or whatever. And he did not want to operate in that price range. And the drama ensues. Like, how do you get out of that channel of pricing when you want to, to explore higher prices and be more profitable? And I'm going to give a couple answers in this conversation. Great. So well, we'll talk about how to be the genius pricer in a moment, but this is one of the problems is you, you don't want to be in the range of acceptable pricing. Usually you want to be higher priced than that. Yeah. I guess one of the problems coming into the current situation is that for a lot of people, their cost prices for the sellers will be such that if they sold at their preferred consumer's selling price, either retail price, it might actually have zero profit or loss built into it. Yeah, so actually yeah. premium pricing now could simply mean profit pricing as opposed to just selling a break even or working right. an awful lot of the planets in that situation, right? So certainly in the UK. One question well, about the perfect, well, sorry, go on. I was just going to say exactly right. What's the efficient market theory is that there is a perfect, the perfect price point that, that moves the, there, there's no profit in that system. It's optimized for super efficiency, not for you to make a good living. And that's the drama. And that's what we have to manage and we have to do it professionally and well. And that's the whole gist of these ideas. Yeah. So one question that springs to mind for me is how about finding the perfect price experimentally using software? So obviously repricing mm -hmm. tools for resellers have been used a lot for years. Obviously one of our sponsors, Eva, runs the repricing for private label goods. So harder to implement mm -hmm. technically, but possible. Does that factor in, in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of the ways in which you can discover the optimal the price optimal outcome for you, all things being equal, the price optimal outcome for a consumer is the lower the price, the better. They would like it for free. Thank you very much. They'd even like you to pay them to actually take your product. That's the price optimal outcome for the consumer. But the question was the price optimal outcome for the seller. And that's where we really find these nuances. So a lot of times what the pricing algorithm or tools will teach you if you do an A-B test for your pricing on Shopify or if you do serial testing on Amazon with your price points, what you can discover is that you can sell at a higher price and you'll have less velocity, less transactions will flow through, but you'll end up optimizing for profit. And that's a very interesting set of tests to do. And what it makes you realize is that just selling more isn't the answer. Selling the appropriate 
priced amount that gives you a profit and getting it sold at that price is the optimal outcome for you. And so uh, the software tools absolutely allow you to do that or at least test your way into it. And if you can figure out how to put your prices a bit higher, but still maintain some velocity to get the, your quantities moving, then you've got an opportunity there to also have profit as well. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of thoughts on that. One is with private label sellers, I've always seen because you have to order in bulk and you have to hold inventory for quite a long time. There's always a really terrible payoff, a reality between the amount of turnover speed. In other words, how long are you going to hang on to your inventory for, which has a working capital implication or more cash flow implication versus profit. And those two things are in a great tension. They're not exactly in opposite directions, but there is a great tension between them. So I think you have to be realistic about that if that's your business model right now. The other thing is talking about sort of pricing ranges that you were talking about. I think A-B testing often reveals, doesn't it, that you can creep towards the top of your pricing range, as you said, if you get more profit per unit, but fewer units sold, and you can creep towards the bottom of it and sell more units at less profit, but it's still going to work within a range. I guess you can't, it sounds like an obvious point to make, but I see people put a bit too much faith in A-B testing. It will show you what the market thinks of your product, perhaps more granularly than you would have done organically, but it won't make your brand more valuable and more convert at a higher price point or be just convert better in yeah, my experience. Yeah. So in other words, yeah, it's not it's, a brand changer. Totally agree. Yeah. Absolutely right. And there's reasons for that. And so we'll talk about that in a couple minutes here. So Fantastic. let's talk about the second yeah. unfortunate. Well, this second unfortunate fact. It sounds like a Sherlock Holmes mystery. <laughs> like it. The three unfortunate cat facts of Mr. G. Miles. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. The reality is the second unfortunate fact is that customers anticipate pricing discounts. And it's really an interesting exercise to ask yourself as a seller, are you pricing your products for your best customers that repeat repeatedly buy all the time or are you pricing your products for the first time unaware and unknowing by the brand new to you buyer and the reality is it's easy to price for the brand new unaware of your prior activities buyer and it's a lot harder to price for your best customers because your best customers know what you do. They pay attention, especially the super price conscious ones. And as we go into a recession, a lot of people think we're in one right now, the price conscious shoppers really rise to the occasion and they pay attention. And if they're a loyal customer of yours, they'll remember when you had a sale. And a lot of times they'll remember more than you will. Well, did, have we put this on sale before? I can't remember. Did we? I don't know. Maybe it was six months ago. Oh no, that was three years ago. Well, you don't even remember this stuff. But the customer remembers and they will anticipate the discount. So if you think you're smart by making a Black Friday sale every November, just realize the customer's anticipating that fact because if you're being super obvious and just a very kind of autopilot, change it on certain days, whatever, customers will pay attention to that. And therefore, what that means is they will not buy your product at the higher price, at the normal price. They'll wait for it to go on sale. And that cat and mouse game with your buyers is really interesting to think through. And so that's a it's just a difficult reality that your best customers, especially the price sensitive ones, will pay attention. You will have to justify, at least in their mind, what in the world you're doing with your prices. And and they'll anticipate the the best deal for them. It's going to come up in the future. Yeah, a couple of thoughts on that. I think a lot of retailers have trained their buyers to expect 
sales, some of them horrendous percentage of the time. There's something I only really see when I visit relatives who have TV at, at Christmas in the UK, DFS, and they pretty much, whenever I've seen an advert, it's a furniture store that's been in business for years, so it must work to some degree. They always have discounts. I've never seen a season in which they don't have discounts somehow <laughs> on everything, which begs the question of whether they just go with the absolute legal definition of minimum definition of a price before discounting it. And that strikes me as a pretty good way of destroying your pricing power. And other extreme, really great brands like Chanel, I understand, will leave one or two bottles of each type of perfume in any given store that stores their products, high street store, or even online if they have good control. But they never really allow great plentifulness of the stock such that it's always at a premium. It's always quite what's the word restricted in amount but that strikes me as a much smarter way of doing it how do you begin to build that kind of sophistication into a an online version of your business i think the first thing you do is really make sure you pay attention to when you do discounts how you do it have a google sheet or some kind of tracking document that says we put this item on sale on june 1st and the price was and just keep track is the first thing. Just have a history of your pricing decisions for your product. And so you can look back because you know how it is in mental shortcut in your mind. You're like, what can I do to make some money? Oh, I'll put something on sale. Oh, what should I put on sale? Oh, this item. Have I done that before? I don't remember, but whatever. I need money. So I'm going to, that's how we operate sometimes. It's fly by the seat of your pants pricing. And that is not optimal. I'm absolutely with you that, by the way, apologies if you're listening live. I'm just having to unmute and mute twice, but you don't want me coughing in your ear. I think one of the things I see a huge amount is that people rely on Amazon to tell them what their price has been historically, which is really inaccurate a lot of the time, or just it does the dates. The data is actually not stored, at least not in any easy mm-hmm. way. To, yeah, tracking your pricing, I think is absolutely basic, but you're right. A lot of us don't do it. And we've yeah. all done that short term yeah. dash to cash. So what's this third unfortunate fact? Yeah. Yeah. And Lizeth just asked in the comments, a great question, which I'm going to add is like our fourth unfortunate fact, which we're talking about. But uh, the third unfortunate fact is, and don't worry, guys, we're going to have some suggestions, positive strategies for being pricing genius in a moment. So we'll get to the good stuff here. But the third unfortunate fact is customers also anticipate the price increases. So it's the reverse side of the coin of them anticipating the price discounting. They'll anticipate the price increases. And when they anticipate the price increases, they do just the opposite behavior. So they know you're going to raise the price. So what do they do in that situation? They buy early. You know, they'll buy today if they know you're going to raise the price tomorrow. So you got to be really thoughtful about when you do price increases. If you do them every January 1st, for example, guess what December is going to look like for you? A wonderful sales month because everyone will be anticipating the price increase. People do this all the time. And it's really a cat and mouse game that we have to think about. How are we raising our prices and how do we do it in such a way that customers don't just beat us at our own game and just buy early, buy with the discount, today's discount, which is your today's price. And so that's the the opposite side of the coin that you have to manage for. So one thing that strikes me that's actually good news, and I know we're going to get onto more good news in a minute, is an inflationary environment generally. So all the news they're getting from whatever news sources, plus their experience, is 
training customers to expect prices to go up. So they're going to be quicker to jump on what they think of as a, a good bargain now in anticipation of a rising price. Of course, the bad news is that consumer squeeze in consumer discretionary spending means that they're going to be possibly dumping your brand in favor of something cheaper. So these are the two yeah. sides. But I think at least if we can take advantage of that and build it into our own mentality about creating a sort of rhythm of pricing, I think now is quite a good time to be able to do that, actually. Yeah, I would just say so, that as it relates to inflation, that is the pernicious situation. It's good on the one hand, let's say we know housing prices are going to go up by 15% or 20% next year because of inflation. Like It's just going to happen. We should buy a better house or our house, our first house, whatever it is we should buy today. But if the sellers know that as well, then on their side, they're going to be ready, willing, and able to just ratchet those prices right up. Oh, inflation's on the rise, everyone can raise prices, I shoot, I too shall raise prices. And so you get in this spiral where it really can be a, like a death spiral uh, or a feedback loop. So that's the challenge. And I think we're in that, obviously, in the US. And I was shocked, to be honest, about being in England this last month. The number one thing that stood out to me as it relates to pricing. What's that? The prices in England for food, I'm not even joking, probably half the price for a normal item, if you just picked it up off the shelf, for what we pay in the U.S., it right. is radical. It was noticeable, and I was like, "What in the world? We are paying so much here for food." And in England, I was like, "This stuff's all on sale. It's like on clearance pricing." It was crazy how big a difference it was in my mind when I we went to the little to the grocery store and I started picking up items. It was. It was very striking. So anyway, so just a side commentary. Uh, Interesting. England, if England yeah. follows the U.S. in terms of inflationary pricing for food, your pricing is going to double. Yeah, that's pricing isn't going to fall by half. I can guarantee. No, that. it isn't. No, I think there are a couple of factors behind that. One is that supermarkets really dominate the food industry here. So as a percentage of income, Brits mm -hmm. have over the last sort of thirty years or so paid the lowest percentage of their income on food compared to anyone else in Europe. And that's partly because maybe we, we traditionally don't value it as much as the French or Italians, which I could say is true from my experience of their culture. But I think it's partly because the suppliers of the raw ingredients, milk or whatever, have been mm -hmm. squeezed to death. However, what that means is that we've got a very low base from which it's shooting up very quickly, which, of course, people aren't used to. So the other thing that tells me is that whatever you're used to is what you think of as normal. You think of it as shockingly low here. I think of it as mm -hmm. normal. If it goes up 30 percent, everyone up in arms and there'll be riots in the streets, whereas you'll be saying, hey, that's 70 percent cheaper than my bill. What are you complaining about? No, I'll be saying there's still another 25 percent for it to go up. Yeah. It's like, it hasn't gone up high enough. It's gone up 30 percent. But, yeah, that's to the point of this whole idea because we become sensitive to our own normalized pricing for us and yeah it can be psychologically we were going to talk about the coming back lizeth has got a question that you wanted to raise which i thought was a, yeah. a good one as well so do you yeah. want to read that one out and i'll see if i can put my amazon hat on here yeah and i've got some thoughts on this one as well it's a great question which is what do you do when amazon deactivates a listing and or suggests a price that won't even pay their own fees or like a, they recommend a price that is non-logical to you. Mm. And we talked in prior podcast conversations, Michael, about the number one pricing power tool. I think it's a prior episode just before this one. The number one pricing power tool that you have as a seller is location. And on the e-commerce side, that means you have the options to sell on Shopify direct to consumer. You can sell on eBay. You can sell on Etsy. You can sell on Walmart. You can sell on 
a Macare Libre. You can sell on Poshmark, offer up Craigslist. You can, if you choose, sell on Amazon as well. The question is, where do you get the optimal price outcome uh, in those marketplaces? And so location is really part of the answer. It, the answer isn't to fiddle around in Amazon in such a way that you make them do what you want to do. Now, maybe there is a technical solution Michael knows of, but the truth from a macro perspective is location broadly and having the options to sell in different places creates pricing power. Michael, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So, Liz, sorry to hear of your pain there, if that's you. It really depends why Amazon's doing it. There's got to be a few different reasons. If you can pop into the comments why, then I might be able to troubleshoot it a bit further. But to your point, Jason, the only thing technically that strikes me that's an obvious one is if you are selling it cheaper somewhere else on the web, then you're asking for Amazon to basically not deactivate your listing, but you'll lose the buy box, which effectively means you'll lose 80% of your traffic and 80% of your sales. Other than that, it, you are vulnerable to Amazon's little way sometimes, which aren't extremely obvious why and to your point i think it's another reason to consider getting your own dtc sites up up and running which is a different strategy and a different question but uh any specific questions then ask but the, i imagine there'll be more than one amazon seller experiencing this kind of thing in the next while yeah. because amazon will effectively implement its own ideas of price controls which they don't advertise they don't discuss in the national press or, or media aren't mm -hmm. discussed in the house of congress but they suddenly decide to put in, implement their own kind of we used to have a thing called the Price Commission, which my father-in-law worked for in the 1970s, and they kind of create their own one in times of what they think of as national crisis. Mm -hmm. It certainly seems to happen in pandemic. I think sometimes you just don't know that they've decided these policies, yeah. <laughs> and that's just the luck of the draw. So tell us about the good news then. So we've talked about the problems a great deal. What are the solutions to these things? How do we remedy these challenges? Hey, folks, thank you for listening to The E-Commerce Leader. Today, we talked about three unfortunate facts about pricing. The first fact being that there is no perfect price, although you can determine these things to some degree experimentally using A-B testing software or for Amazon sellers repricing software. We'd recommend checking out our sponsor, Eva at amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. And if you use the phrase get 50 off or amazing FBA, you should be able to get a 50% discount. If you have trouble getting hold of that, just email me personally. It's easiest Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at amazingfba.com. So worth mentioning that because that is one way to determine the price to a degree. The second uh, unfortunate fact is that customers anticipate pricing discounts. If you train them to expect discounts, to some extent, again, if you sell in a marketplace like Amazon, they are training people to expect discounts on Prime Day, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. But not all Amazon sellers, by all means, that I know personally bother to discount very much anymore. Some don't. You don't have to take part in that. And people who get to know your brand will get to know your behavior. Obviously, if you run your own direct-to-consumer site as your primary sales channel, even easier to control that. The third unfortunate fact is that customers anticipate pricing increases and they buy preemptively, it's in their best interest. But if you raise your prices every January, you'll have a really great December for sales. And that's actually a pretty fortunate fact. But nevertheless, we focused mostly on the problems here in today's episode. Next episode, we'll be talking about three simple ways to create pricing power. So to be a price maker, not a price taker in the words that Jason mentioned today. If you've enjoyed today's show, then don't forget to subscribe to the show and join us on Spotify. We're seeing our followers been climbing steadily for a long time. So come and join the party there. And if you are on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, then don't forget to give us a rating out of five stars. I'll be really helpful. Thank you so much for listening and look forward to speaking to you soon on the e-commerce leader. 
That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England, and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.